Hello brothers, this is Didact and we're back with another Domain Query episode. This one is Domain Query Gambler's Ruin. A very warm welcome as always to all of my long-time readers from the site. A very warm welcome to my Podbean subscribers. If you have not already subscribed to either the site or Podbean or my Telegram channel, please make sure you hit the links in the description box and make sure you are subscribed to all of these various outlets so that you never miss a new post uh, or a new podcast. <clears throat> the Telegram channel in particular is the best way to communicate with me directly. The feed itself is full of uh, basically posts shared from uh, across various different sources on the Banderistan war, on current events, geopolitics, political analyses, and I offer my own explanations for what we're seeing in this crazy world as well, plus a healthy dose of memes heavy metal, um, the occasional insta-thought once in a while, uh, not very often. And uh, it's just a really cool community of like-minded men, uh, mostly men. I think we have one or two women in there, but I'm pretty sure they're lurkers. They don't really comment very often. Um, and the entire, I don't know, nine months or however long it's been since I started up the group, um, I think we've only had one or two women comment the whole time. But anyway, it is a great community. It's a lot of fun. The, the a number of very regular commenters, uh, many of them are long, long time readers of the site. And they just seem to get a real kick out of um, commenting on, on the complete and utter absolute clown world we live in. I mean, we are so deep into clown world at this point. The clowns are looking at us going like, what is wrong with these people? Um, it is just distressing to see how far our society has degenerated. Uh, be that as it may, um, this this uh, particular episode, what the hell was that? Sorry, just uh, some gunk on my mouse, but I don't know where it came from. Um, this particular episode is by way of a uh, an email that reader uh, Ned sent to me. And um, I mean, I'm, I know he's using a pseudonym, but I'm not gonna use the full thing anyway. Um, so Ned asks, um, do you think the global banking crisis will escalate the Eastern European war or do you think it will cause Western neocons to pause and retreat? Short answer, the TLDL uh, version, too long, didn't listen, uh, is no. Yeah, it's that simple. Uh, and you know, if you want to stop listening here, go ahead. <laughs> but there are reasons why I say that, um, the not to be rude to the questioner, it is actually a really, really good question. Um, the reason I'm being so blunt about it is is simply because uh, the the nature of neocons, of neoclowns, really um, kind of determines the answer by definition. See, neoclowns have no reverse gear. And this is why the title of this podcast is what it is, Gambler's Ruin. Okay, if you're not familiar with the gamblers, the concept of the gambler's ruin, it is um, easily explained by the idea of uh, double or quits or uh, double or nothing. So <clears throat> a, a gambler walks into a casino or uh, what was it? How, how, did, um, how did my mathematical finance professor say it uh, way back in the day? He's Russian, uh, very funny guy, very you know, fat, big Russian dude and just the most hysterical accent. So the way he used to put it was, 
you go to casino, you put down one dollar, you bet one dollar, you win one dollar, next bet you bet two dollar, you lose, you lose two dollar, next bet you bet two dollar, and you keep betting until you win. Something like that. That was kind of how he talked. I'm not making this up. I mean, classmates of mine who are there in real life will attest to the accuracy of my impression of the guy. But anyway, the gambler's ruin is precisely that. You bet, you lose, you bet some more, you win, you keep betting. Now, the mathematical expectation you can prove quite easily when you're talking about betting against the house will inevitably lead to negative outcomes. Inevitably. Because the probability of winning on any given roll of the dice or any given toss of the coin, if you're dealing with a less than fair coin, is of course less than 50% by definition. If the, um, if the coin is fair, obviously, if the, if the, the bet is fair, then by definition, you will, in the long run, even out, um, in theory. But if you're, that's only if you're betting this, like the, the same amount every time. If, however, you're betting increasingly large amounts every time you lose, then inevitably, over time, you will rack up immeasurably large losses. And it, it doesn't take very long, actually, for those losses to stack up. But you can prove this mathematically. It's not difficult. Under certain circumstances, under certain conditions of the game, um, the, actually the most common conditions of the game, mathematically speaking, you will blow out your bank account within you know, a handful of throws of the dice. It's very, very quick. So, this is the situation that the world faces right now with the neo-clowns in the West. Keep in mind the background of these neo-clowns. It's very, very important to understand this, to understand why the Eastern European war is going the way it is. The parents and the grandparents of the current generation of neo-clowns are mostly Eastern European Jews who fled Bessarabia, which is essentially the bit of Ukraine where the Banderasan War currently is being waged. If you look at, in particular, Victoria Newland, for instance, look back through her family history and you'll realize that her grandfather was some sort of, uh, not, not even an intellectual, I think he was a shoemaker of some kind living in Bessarabia, in, in the sort of southeast of what is today Ukraine. And he fled and his the the things that he went through resulted in a series of uh, just brutalizations of his son that resulted in a complete psychotic breakdown. The, the kid, well, the man, in his adulthood went crazy. And that clearly created an impression on, at the time, a young Vicky Newland. And guess who Vicky Newland is married to today? One of the Kagan clan. Um, the same story is true over and over and over and over again with the neo-clowns. Most of them are unreconstructed Trotskyites. They are communists in their background and their beliefs. And they believe in the Trotskyite version of communism, 
which is to say they believe in spreading global revolution and global socialism. And on top of that, <clears throat> they harbor an extreme irrational hatred of Russia because it was the Soviets, the Russians really, under the Bolsheviks that booted them out. They've never forgiven the Russians for throwing out their forefathers. And they've never forgiven the Russians for what they perceive to be Russian hatred of Jews. They've spent the entirety of the 1990s, therefore, trying to infiltrate Russia and destroy it from within. And if they can't succeed from within, they do it from without, through military power and force of arms and financial weaponry. The neo-clowns have no concept of retreat because to them, psychologically speaking, retreat means destruction because that's what happened to their forefathers when they gave up and went away. They were very nearly destroyed. So they can't admit ever that they're wrong or that they made a mistake. And you see this pattern of behavior repeated over and over again with neo-clowns like Wolfowitz, the, the Kagan clan, uh, Newland, of course. I mean, Newland's been around for decades, and she has been she has overseen one utter disaster after another. Now, not every neo-clown is a Jew, and not every neo-clown um, is a Trotskyite. A lot of neo-clowns um, aren't either of these things, but they're just not particularly intelligent outside of a very narrow field. They, they just don't know very much. I mean, Niall Ferguson, for example, is a very well-respected historian. If you read his history books, uh, I've, I haven't read, uh, hang on a second, I may have read one of them. I've got, um, I've got a copy of The Pity of War sitting somewhere in my bookshelf, um, not, in, not, not here, because uh, I don't have a bookshelf here in my current place, and not in storage, but somewhere in the old country. Um, I think there's a copy of that book floating around someplace. And then I think, I think I may have read another one of his books at one point. But I mean, that tells you as to whether or not his books are any good. I don't think they are. Um, <clears throat> his uh, wife slash girlfriend, whatever she is, Ion Hirsi Ali, I've definitely read her book, uh, Infidel. Um, Niall Ferguson is Scottish. He doesn't have a drop, drop of Jewish blood in him as far as I know. He is one of the conniest, uh, the, the clowniest of neo-clowns, and yet he's a historian. Now, he, he's probably a very good historian, at least in, in the area of history that he specializes in. But he's a historian. He has absolutely no background in anything involving real science, real mathematics, actual physics, proven chemistry, um, engineering, anything that has to do with stuff in the real world. He, he's an academic. The same is true for so many of these neo-clowns. And so they have no concept of cause and effect. Their, their entire background is in liberal arts, which is to say soft studies. They don't know anything about the real world and how real things move and work. Now, you could level the same accusation at me in theory. I mean, I'm, my background is in mathematics, economics, and finance. Um, that being said, I at least recognize the limits of my own skill set, and I spent quite a lot of time running around in the real world talking to actual people who engage in these things. So I know the limits of my knowledge, I understand them, the limits of my training, 
and I don't try to impose those uh, those points of view on other people. I don't try to. I don't believe that I'm right all the time. Uh, and when I make a mistake, and you know, I've made lots of mistakes. I try to own it, and I try to uh, recalibrate to what is true. I've changed my mind on a number of on any number of topics over the years, and the reason I've done it is because I've been proven wrong. So okay, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll admit I'm wrong, and I just try to go to where the truth is. Neo clowns aren't capable of that. They're not capable of self-reflection. They're not capable of understanding where they've made a mess of things, and they're not capable of reorienting themselves towards the good, the beautiful, and the true. Many of them actively hate Christ and, and Christianity, and they've said so openly. Um, but the worst thing about them is, of course, that their educational backgrounds do not permit them to look at the world as it really is. Many of them are international relations majors, political science majors, journalists, historians, absolutely no grounding in real world things. They've never had to change a bicycle tire. They've never had to change a car tire. They've never had to change engine oil or take apart a, an, an actual moving mechanical piece of equipment. They've never had to do any of these things. They don't understand it. They don't understand manufacturing processes. They don't understand chemicals. They don't understand where food actually comes from. They don't get any of these basic things about life. Everything has just been handed to them. And the worst part is they all live in kind of the same basic areas. If you look at most neo-clowns, they generally live within the Beltway, in, within the think tank bubbles of Washington, D.C., or in the liberal Jewish elites of New York City, or in London, in the nice fashionable bits of London, not the, you know, the bits that are rapidly reverting to the third world. Um, these are all people who sniff each other's farts and get high on them. And they have no real ability to connect with the consequences of their own ideas because they're insulated from them. They're all part of the club. They're all part of the elite. So with all this context setting, you can now understand why they are incapable of seeing failure for what it is. They don't see it as a lesson. They don't see it as instructive. They see it as um, kind of an indication that whatever they're doing hasn't been applied hard enough. It's literally, it's the, it's the, the, the whole issue of, you know, how communists, when confronted with the hundreds of millions of people their policies have killed, over the last several hundred years, over the last 150 years, actually, they always say, well, that's because we didn't try true communism. You know, that wasn't, you know, Cuba wasn't truly communist state. China wasn't truly communist. Russia wasn't truly communist. If we had true communism, everybody would be fine. Well, okay. And then you try to enact true communism, and of course it fails. Um, they're willfully blind to the consequences of their ideas because they're purely ideological. And when you have people who are purely ideological, you have with, and you combine that with money and power, you have an extremely dangerous cocktail, which is what you have with neo-clowns. So will the global banking crisis escalate the modern Europe, the Eastern European war? Yes, because Western neo-clowns do not have the capacity to pause and retreat. Because they have no capacity for self-reflection, they cannot understand the chain of events that links a global financial catastrophe to 
war and death and the destruction of empires. Amazingly, despite being trained in history, many of them, like one of the, I think it's either Donald or Robert Kagan, I, I can't remember which one, but one of the Kagans has a background in history and not just in history, but like Greek, classical Greek history. So these people understand uh, at least one of the Kagans, whichever one, understands the causes and the effects of the Peloponnesian Wars and understands what happened to Athens, how Athens went from being a democracy to an empire to a vassal state within the space of about a century. So it's not like they don't know this stuff. They do. Um, but one other thing that, and by the way, one other factor that connects a lot of these neoclowns, Boris Johnson is a good example, is that their books tend to be unreadable. They tend to be either unreadable or just very sloppily written. Because again, these are not intellectually rigorous people. If they were intellectually rigorous, they wouldn't hold the positions that they do. Because they would be able to look past their biases and their personal animuses against the Russians and against Russia and see Russia for what it actually is. So because of these things, they aren't capable of moving on. They aren't capable of adjusting their mental model to from what they think reality is to what it actually is. They aren't capable of that calibration. So if you look at the global banking crisis, what's causing it? Well, the global banking crisis happened because of massive derangement of the money supply on a global scale. I mean, you're talking about $10 trillion in combined fiscal and monetary uh, stimulus injected into the US economy in the course of two years to deal with COVID. And all of that liquidity had to go somewhere. It went into, in the banking system, treasury bonds, because essentially there was nowhere else for it to go. This is where you always park your, um, your, your money when the, the, the system is kind of under tremendous stress. Because if you go back to sort of September of 2019, this is something most people don't think about. But in September of 2019, the repo markets in the United States collapsed. And it's something that the Fed tried desperately to paper over. The repo rates, uh, a repurchase agreement is essentially a loan where it's an overnight loan where you essentially agree to lend out a treasury bond and you charge an interest rate and you get it back the next day. You know, you, uh, the equivalent of, of cash or a, or a bond of some kind. Um, and that's typically used to hedge out balance sheet risks or to transfer cash between entities. Um, it's a very, very short duration loan. Because of that, the interest rate charge is very small. But the repo rate on federally backed guaranteed bonds went from fractions of a percent to over 10% in one day. That's not supposed to happen in a healthy functioning financial system. The only reason it would happen is if banks in the system are completely unsure as to whether or not other counterparties in the system can be trusted to make good on their contingent claims. When you have a situation where all the banks are looking at each other going, I can't trust any of you guys, that's when credit markets freeze up. And that's exactly what happened in September 2019. There's a very good argument to be made, in my opinion, for Convid, the entire scamdemic, the whole of the, 
the lung pao chicken, the, the, the Chinese chicken pox, the kung flu, everything, all of it was just an attempt by the powers that be to freeze the global economy while the various central banks tried desperately to bail out the ship and buy some time, some breathing space for central banks to figure out what to do because they were completely paralyzed at the time. They had no idea. Their answer to it was to pump colossal amounts of liquidity into the system to try to push out the flood water and kind of um, just blast it out of, of the sinking ship. And it didn't work because the holes are too big and they're too, uh, too difficult to paper, too numerous to paper over. You can't do it anymore. Decades of loose monetary policy and excessive risk taking and really stupid decision making. And of course, you know, all the bad decisions that come with essentially privatizing profit but socializing risk have come to roost now. We're feeling the effects right now. If you look at the causes of the Eastern European war right now, where does that come from? Well, in part, because of this insistence on flooding the system with liquidity. It has to go somewhere. The money has to go somewhere. Inevitably, that some of that money went into arms manufacturing. And what do arms manufacturers need to keep their profits and their balance sheets afloat? They need war. Well, if you look at Ukraine being at the kind of strategic hinge point that it is, that was the perfect candidate for a war that would satisfy a number of different criteria. It would satisfy the neo-clown ambition to humble Russia and to destroy its government and therefore to break it up. It would satisfy the military industrial complex's desire for a war to keep its profits fat and juicy. And it would satisfy the central banker's desire to uh, essentially provide a bit of a distraction, uh, a bit of a way to ease pressure on the global financial system. Problem is none of it worked. None of it worked at all. Russia today is not the Russia of 30 years ago. Again, go back to what I said. Neoclowns are not capable of adjusting their mental models to reality. They can't do it. They still think Russia today is the same as the Soviet Union of 1989. Weak, fragile, broken, utterly dependent on energy trading, uh, energy sales to maintain their economy, spending vast amounts of money on their military, uh, not a modern economy in any way. John McCain, perfect example, that ridiculous quote of his, I mean, the man you know, was just a disaster. As he, would, as he often said, uh, as the, the phrase that he coined, you know, Russia is just a gas station masquerading as a country. He'd never been there, apparently, I and mean, he'd never actually seen what Russia's become. Meanwhile, I've been there multiple times in the last six years, I've seen what it's become. I'm like, this is not a gas station masquerading as a country. It's a country that happens to be a gas station. And the, the whole of the country has so much to offer, it's not even funny. So they failed to subjugate Russia. And under Putin, Russia has transformed itself from the broken, pitiful wreck that it was in the 1990s to a powerful, modern, well-equipped, uh, well-run, reasonably efficient country. It is actually quite a, quite a well-run place if you consider uh, the competition. I mean, compared to the United States, it's a beacon of efficiency, uh, relatively speaking. 
that didn't work. The MIC's desire to create a war to sustain its profits is not working because the Russians are destroying every single last American Wunderwaffen, Wunderwaffe. They're all being wiped out in Banderistan. Every single thing the Americans have, and the Europeans have thrown into the theater has been destroyed. So javelins, stingers, high mars, uh, what else? Harms, uh, what, what else have they thrown in? Star strike or whatever they're called, missiles, uh, those, um, those, those loitering drones, the suicide kamikaze drones, those, those didn't work. The Russians have better versions of the same thing, which do work. Um, you, know, you name it, it's failed. The Russians have been able to counteract and destroy every single thing the Americans have been able to send along. Excalibur-guided uh, uh, artillery shells. So what? The Russians have better versions of the same thing. The Krasnopol, the, the Krasnopol is um, both laser-guided and GPS, well, GLONASS-guided, um, rather than uh, just purely GPS-guided. Um, you know, whatever you, whatever the, the, the Americans have thrown in, the Russians have been able to counteract, so never mind. And then you've got this global banking crisis, which, again, the roots go back to loose monetary policy and loose fiscal policy. The kind of policy that the neoclowns themselves love to promote because it comes down to their socialist roots. If you look at the 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto, the, uh, the centralization of all money and all property are two of the planks of the Communist Manifesto. This is something that deep down all neoclowns fundamentally believe in. So they have no capacity at all to reverse course. This will cause the European theater of war to widen unless the Russians can somehow contain it. Now, they've been trying very hard to contain it. They've been unbelievably restrained up until this point. The Russians have refused to react in a pre precipitate and hasty fashion to any of the West's provocations. The Russians have allowed the use of tactics and operational methods that if America saw them being used in its backyard would have resulted in a low-grade tactical nuclear response by now. I'm not joking about that. There are documented, recorded, proven instances of Ukrainians using nerve gas on Russians, chemical weapons, in the theater of war. I'm not, again, I'm not making this up. We have actual footage and you can see it. Well, you can't see it on my Telegram channel because I don't share that stuff because it's, it's disgusting. But I have seen the videos. You can find it on Telegram if you want. Of Ukrainian drones dropping canisters of, that contain some kind of gas on Russians. And you can see them kind of gasping and, and, and twitching and convulsing and drowning. And it is nerve gas of some kind. It's a poison gas of some kind that they're using on the Russians. That is a chemical weapon. And under any recognized um, CBN sort of treaty uh, or any CBN framework under the Geneva Conventions, the use of such weapons allows for a tactical nuclear response. So the Russians have every right to launch a low-grade, low-yield tactical nuke and wipe out every last Ukrainian, you know, on the field in that area. That would be justified, but the Russians haven't done it yet. Um, the Ukrainians have been shelling civilian areas. 
using American-made munitions. They have been using American-provided C4ISR, um, basically intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, and uh, you know all the other stuff that goes along with it. There are NATO officers on the ground directing Ukrainian forces. NATO soldiers have been directly embedded within Ukrainian units. I mean, right now, the Russians are slaughtering Polish and Georgian infantry in Donbass. So the West, the neoclowns in the West, are doing their very best to expand the war into a European theater-wide war. Why? Because they can't be bothered to take a step back and say, okay, this isn't working. Maybe we need to try something else. They can't do that. So they're trying to draw Russia into a wider conflict in the hopes that this will, pro this will produce a, an excuse for the entire United States and all of NATO to get involved and overwhelm Russia and produce a military victory. All you have to do to understand where this is going is to look at the global record of neoclowns anywhere. Every single thing they touch turns to shit. They have a complete reverse Midas touch. Every single thing they do turns to shit. Whether it's Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova, any project they have ever touched has been a disaster. So what is it going to take for them to stop? Well, basically the complete collapse and implosion of the United States uh, government because they're so, they're, they're burrowed in there like ticks. I mean, they are parasites draining a host of blood. And the problem is um, the U.S. is close to collapse at this point. I mean, it is collapsing. So I would expect to see neoclowns being kind of brought to justice if they are brought to justice in any way. Once the U.S. government finally, thank God, collapses and brings down this entire rotten, horrific edifice with it. But until then, we're going to continue to see efforts by the neoclowns to expand this war um, into a from a from a, a an isolated sort of proxy war between Ukraine and Russia to a wider European theater war, and then eventually to a world war. I mean, we're already in a world war. We're just not calling it a world war yet. But I believe they're going to fail because if you look at a map and you look at just the developments that I talked about in my last podcast across the world right now, and you look at where the peace treaties are being signed, where the economic agreements are coming from, and where everything is aligning, the whole of the Eurasian landmass and most of Africa is now aligning against the West. South America is joining in. Globally speaking, NATO is being isolated. It's being cut off, surrounded, and isolated. And it's not going to take very much more, geopolitically speaking, to complete that trap and eventually destroy whatever is left of NATO. So it's worth thinking about. Anyway, um, I've rambled on for quite long enough. Hopefully that answered the question in some detail. Um, make sure that you, as I said, like, share, comment, and subscribe. Make sure that if you don't have one already, you sign up for a VPN or take a look at the other products that I've got listed down below. Uh, in this day of day and age of internet censorship, it's getting more important than ever to have a VPN of some kind, believe me. Uh, I don't surf without one. Uh, given everything that's going on, it's, uh, it's of vital importance to preserve your anonymity. So make sure you do that. 
and make sure that you check out the site and the various um, posts and podcasts that have been uploaded there. And I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you very much. This has been Domain Query, Gambler's Ruin, and this is Didact signing off.